In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, we celebrate your ordination, Wale, this week in Kentucky and um, at the Senate of the Jurisdiction of the Armed Forces as Wale moves towards holy orders. Ultimately, we trust to become a chaplain in the Navy, and uh, we're just excited for you. And if you haven't visited the uh, Facebook page, please do so. Wally posted the service was recorded, and so you can uh, watch his ordination there. I know some of you have already done that, and so uh, we're here to celebrate you this evening. And what a great evening uh, to do that in one sense, because uh, this, the fourth Sunday of Easter, is always Good Shepherd Sunday reminding us of those who have been called to serve as the shepherds, but not only in God's church and official capacities as the ordained, but certainly that, but also, I think, for all of us called in different ways to be good shepherds in the church of Jesus Christ. And so we have the opportunity this evening to, to think about this. And, of course, the, the most obvious place to begin is with Jesus himself, always a good place to begin, and I would also say a good place to end as well, is always Jesus, but Jesus is the good shepherd, and we know that, and we confess that, and we, we think that. I don't think many of us would have to be persuaded of that. He himself said it, I am the good shepherd, right? So John 10 that we heard read to us this evening, or at least selections from John 10, um, my sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and I know them and they follow me. So how is Jesus the good shepherd? Well, we as his sheep hear his voice. Now, mind you, we need to be listening for that voice, but the voice is there calling us as the good shepherd, and, and we hear his voice, and he knows us in that way. He's calling out to us, his shepherd, right? So every, every shepherd, or his sheep, every shepherd needs a flock, And we are that flock, so he knows us as the flock. He knows us as his sheep. And so we hear the voice of Jesus Christ, and I trust we follow that voice in obedience. And we might hear that voice differently from day to day, week to week, month to month. We may hear it differently depending on each one of us, the way in which God has called us to listen for him. And I think Jesus' voice isn't uniform in the sense of reducing us all to actually the same, the same sheep, right? We're not all the same sheep. I've never worked around sheep. My understanding is they're not terribly intelligent creatures, but, um, but I've never worked around them. I imagine sheep in their own way are individuals, right, that they are different from one another. And so we may hear God's voice differently. What he is saying to us is likely unique and different for each one of us, but we need to be listening to his voice because the shepherd God is calling us. And when we hear his voice, we need to respond. We should respond. We must respond. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, I hope we respond. And then we follow him because that's the image. That's the point of the image is that we follow him. Right? Shepherd, move the flock. That's the point. This isn't a cage where we're pinned in. This is a, this is a group of sheep, us, who follow this voice of our good shepherd as he leads us. Now, Revelation depicts for us kind of the ultimate destination, the ultimate place where we're going, which is to be united with God in heaven, worshiping around the throne of God. We know that's our ultimate destination, but how we get there will likely be a series of twists and turns. Just before the service started tonight, before the the choir began to rehearse, Daria is from Vermont, 
And so I heard the word the Adirondacks, and I spent a year in the Adirondack Mountains, but on the New York side of the Adirondack Mountains, and was trying to remember the place we would go into Vermont, we would cross, and finally looked it up, and Ticonderoga is where it was, and, but that years ago, I mean, to think that I would have a student, a parishioner who's from Vermont, and to think almost 30 years ago, I lived in that part of the world, and so when she talks about the Adirondacks, memories come flooding back, but that's just part of a journey, Right? From the Adirondacks to the city of Philadelphia to Dallas to Minnesota to Toronto to here, lots of things in between. Again, the sheep, we aren't penned in as God's sheep. He is calling us, he's guiding and directing us, so we need to follow his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd. How he guides and directs us is good, so we should let him do that. But secondly, he's also the good shepherd because he tells us and Uh, Verse 30 of chapter 10 there, I and the Father are one. Yes, deep Trinitarian truth to that statement, that he is of one being with the Father, as we will confess here in just a few moments in the Nicene Creed, that Jesus and the Father are one. They're of the same being. There was never a time when the Son was not with the Father. That's the unity part of the Trinity, and this verse certainly emphasizes that. I and the Father are one, but that that makes us think about our psalm this evening, Psalm 23, such a familiar psalm, I trust to so many of us, that God is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads us. Again, there's that image of leading and leading us to green pastures, to safe places, to, to abundance with life in him, which of course doesn't mean lack of difficulties, lack of challenges, the ups and downs of life. But as God is our shepherd and as Jesus is one with God, then in that way too, again, it emphasizes, reemphasizes, puts an exclamation point on the fact that Jesus is our shepherd. To listen to Jesus, to listen to the Father, is to be led by our good shepherd because they are one. And again, it, 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 it bears repeating that we cannot overemphasize the need to hear the voice of the shepherd. But to do that, we need to be in a place where we are able to hear that voice, both by our listening to it, listening for it, but also being in relationship in such a way that we can hear it and understand who it is. So when we lived uh, over on Mansa Drive in the more traditional 1,300 square foot La Mirada house, you didn't have to, I didn't have to yell very loud to get my kids' attention. The house wasn't all that big. So even though the boys were younger when we lived there, I could just say, Brendan or Nathaniel, and they would hear me and come. Then we moved to our current house, which is two-story. And they became teenagers and went partially deaf anyway. (laughs) But when they're upstairs, forget about it. I mean, I, I can hardly, literally, I am now yelling without a doubt trying to get their attention. Um, the good news is, Brendan being the kind of techie that he is, has put in some uh, Google, uh, what are they, the home hub, or whatever the other things are. And so now you can talk to the one downstairs and it will, like, like you know, broadcast upstairs that it's dinner time. And it, it'll do it. Now, whether they hear it, of course, because teenagers are partially deaf. But the point is, is like, we moved into that house and I can't get their attention half the time. They don't hear me unless I go about halfway up the stairs. And then I think, 
my voice will carry down to the far end of the house where their rooms are. But, but again, if we're listening for God, hopefully he doesn't have to yell in the same way that I sometimes have to yell for my children in the house. But, but we're listening. Our ears are attentive and attuned to that voice of the shepherd. Because that's what sheep do. They recognize the voice, right? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they know me because they hear that voice. And because God and the Father and the Son are one, that to hear that voice is to hear God's will for our life. So first, let me just reemphasize again that Jesus is the good shepherd, but we as the sheep need to be listening well for him. But Jesus, not only is he the shepherd, but to maybe change things up a bit, our readings also emphasize that Jesus is the lamb. Or, or maybe a different way to say this, Jesus is also himself kind of a sheep, but the lamb language is what we get in the book of Revelation this evening. Behold, a great multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That ultimately Jesus, right, eschatologically speaking, is the Lamb. And it's before that throne, the Lamb's throne, that we will one day worship him. Everyone, this great multitude encompasses everyone. The language of Revelation is from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, worshiping him and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So not only is Jesus our good shepherd, but he's also the Lamb. And our reading from the Gospels tonight, more subtly, but nonetheless, also emphasizes this. I love John's Gospel because John apparently knew the temple precinct really well. So he always likes to talk about where things are happening within the temple precinct. So tonight our gospel reading starts off at the time of the Feast of the Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So in those two verses, we know the exact time of the year it was, geographically where things are happening, at least the city of Jerusalem. But we now know that they were not only just walking in the temple, but they were in the colonnade of Solomon, which was east of the temple. Right? It was the eastern part of the temple. And so the colonnade would look like kind of a monastic cloister. On one side would be the wall separating the temple precinct from the rest of the city. But then it would look out onto the precincts. And so the precinct, this is where they're at. And it's the Feast of Dedication, which we know as Hanukkah. Right? Because it's winter. And so this is the Feast of Hanukkah, which is all about uh, the Jews retaking the city of Jerusalem from Antiochus. The fourth, Eutychus Epiphanes, who had come into the city. This is all in, in Maccabees, right? Those great historical books in the Apocrypha. And, and so Maccabees talks about this, that Antiochus had come, conquered Jerusalem in 164, desecrated the altar. And so the Jews took it back. They fought. They took it back, and they, stone by stone, took apart the desecrated altar, and stone by stone rebuilt the altar in Jerusalem. So we are told that this is what's being celebrated here. So when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, we've been oriented to altar imagery, to this feast of dedication that's all about restoring the altar, which I think, again, just reminds us that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God. That when he talks about being the shepherd, he's also the lamb, the sacrifice itself. And so eschatologically, as Revelation tells us, one day we will worship him. We will worship the lamb. Everyone will worship the lamb. 
But here in John, we're also reminded that in the same way in which he's the good shepherd, we never need to lose sight of the fact that he's also our lamb. In other words, he's the shepherd who would lay down and has laid down his life for his sheep. But not only is Jesus the good shepherd, not only is Jesus also the one who follows God and lays his life down on behalf of the sheep, but we too are sheep of the good shepherd, but not only that, but we're good shepherds to others as well. I love this reading from the book of Acts tonight, where we learn about Tabitha, or her name also is Dorcas, right? So we learn about Tabitha, and we're told in the very first verse that we heard read tonight, she was full of good works and acts of charity. And she's dead. She's fallen ill. She's died. And they sent for Peter because he was nearby. And what did they want? Well, I imagine they got what they wanted, but the text doesn't explicitly say, let's call Peter so that he'll bring her back to life. They knew about Peter. They knew the kind of person that Peter and the disciples were. And so they called him. But see, Tabitha's also called a disciple. She's actually the first woman in the scriptures that has the same title as the disciples. And so it could be that she knows them well. And so it could be that they called Peter because his friend had just died. And they wanted him to come and be there with them during their time of grief. And Peter does respond. He, he responds to this request and he goes and again, I'm not saying they called him only because they thought he would bring her back to life, but that's exactly what Peter does. And he does it in one of the most Jesus's ways, right? One of the most Christological ways. He asks everyone to leave the room, right? Which Jesus had done um, himself. And then he says, Tabitha, arise. And she opens her eyes and she sits up. And I always wonder in these miracles, like, is it like the stereotypical movie moment where they go, oh, what happened? Right? I mean, like, do they, do they realize what just happened? Or do people say, you're, you were dead and now you're alive. What? <laughs> say it again. You know, what, what happened? Yeah, you died. We called for Peter. He came. And now you're alive. But again, we learn that, that Tabitha is, again, full of good works and acts of charity. And, and when Peter gets there, there's all these widows around weeping. And it's possible that she herself was a widow. And we know from the pastoral epistles that in time, perhaps even this early, the widows enrolled themselves in kind of an order of widows. And imagine it was an order to support one another. And we don't know whether Tabitha was wealthy, and that's why she owned a bunch of tunics and other garments that the text tells us in verse 39, or if that's what she made, right, that maybe that's what she did as a widow for a living was to make these tunics and other garments. But the point is, is the widows are standing around as she's dead. They're weeping. They're showing the tunics and other garments to everyone who's kind of coming into the space. And then Peter shows up again and says, leave the room. And he heals her. But think about this Tabitha. Think about Dorcas, this woman who is, is preserved for us here in, in Acts chapter 9. The interesting thing is this follows the conversion of Paul. Right? So this is a charged chapter already about those who follow Jesus. And so in one sense, maybe Tabitha is kind of the, the Saul of this chapter, right? It's, she's, she's another person who we see, not the conversion, but the, 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 what, the way the conversion works out in her life, that she's full of good works and she does these acts of charity. 
that as a disciple, she's in complete service to other people. And, and I'm going to go with the fact that she makes these tunics and garments to give to others. I, I just like that. Right? I read several commentaries this week. They're not decided. So I thought, cool, I'll decide for myself. I'm going to go with that reading. I like the thought that these good works and acts of charity are her clothing those who need to be clothed. That she makes them or at least buys them and gives them to those who have nothing. To the poor, the homeless, the naked. And that's what she was known for. And so when Paul comes and brings her back to life, it's, it's not just bringing Tabitha Dorcas back to life, but it's bringing back she who is a good shepherd to other people. It's bringing back a woman who has a ministry that's full of good works and full of charity. That she herself is caring for people in imitation of he who is the good shepherd. She herself is functioning as a good shepherd. And setting an example for all disciples, not just the disciples, but for all disciples, for us as well. That we look to her and see in her an example of how we can follow Jesus as his disciples. And again, she was hearing the voice of her shepherd. She was doing these good works in response. And so we need to do the same. And I want to hearken back to last week's gospel reading, because we didn't highlight this part of last week's gospel reading. But if you remember, um, after Peter jumped out of the boat in excitement of going to see Jesus and have breakfast on the shore, I remember the other disciples just took the boat back and hauled in the, fish full of, uh, the net full of fish, right? There's that line there where Peter's desperate for Jesus to affirm that he loves him, right? That, that Peter assures Jesus, I love you, I love you. And Jesus' response is, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And so we see the way in which Peter had been admonished to be a shepherd, to feed the sheep of the flock of Jesus Christ. And now the very Peter who brings Tabitha back is uh, breathing life or gives life again to this woman who herself functions in the same way. So though good shepherd language is often uh, associated with pastoral ministry, ordained ministry perhaps, and and it is that. For Wale and Deacon Steve and Father Steve and myself and Pastor Joyce is here as well. Lots of clergy people tonight. So um, in the way in which God has called us to be the shepherds in his church, he's called all of us as disciples to be shepherds to his flock. So this Eastertide, may we respond to God's call upon our life. May we be reminded of Jesus, he, who himself is the good shepherd, but is also the one who laid down his life for us. But like Tabitha, and Dorcas, Tabitha Dorcas, may we serve others and shepherd others. May we accept this role that God has given us, being faithful disciples, animated by God's spirit and God's example and the example of Tabitha to serve others. So may not only hear the voice of our good shepherd and respond to it, But may we hear the voice of others who need us to be their shepherd and respond as well. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.